morning. Did you get a sense that there was very worshipful tone to our worship this morning? I did in my own heart. I think that when we, uh, we come together uh, here to uh, worship the Lord, there should be a real relaxed feeling in your hearts about sitting here, standing here, raising your hands before the Lord to be able to truly worship God with all that's within you. There's a, there's a psalm. Anybody know what the shortest chapter in the Bible is? Psalm 117. The shortest, really, chapter in the entire Bible. And it's all on praise. It's all on worship of our God. This is what it says. It says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile in here. All right, we got a lot of them. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Loud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's it. Psalm 117. A psalm on praise. A psalm on worship. And as we were having worship. One of the lyrics. Pour out your praise. We pour out our praise to you. I mean. I don't know if you were doing that during worship, truly worshiping the Lord, truly just pouring out your heart before the Lord. Why? Because great are you, Lord. And our God is great. And so uh, we're going to continue this morning in Revelation chapter 19. If you want to turn there, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. I titled the morning's message, The Marriage of Supper of the Lamb. And in our text this morning, in chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, it's not going to be a quiet time before God. As good as that is to have a quiet time, you ever have a quiet time with the Lord? Chapter 19 is not a quiet time before the Lord. It's a time for us as a church even that it's not half-hearted worship. You know what half-hearted worship is? That means half your heart is in the moment and the other half is not. Half-hearted worship. It's not lacking enthusiasm in chapter 19. Have you ever lacked that in your worship before the Lord? Enthusiasm for the things of God. It's sincere worship. And there's a difference between insincere and sincere worship. It's not mechanical worship. You know, just doing what we do. We come to the house of God and we worship and it's, it's just... Simply a mechanical thing at times. It's not sleepy worship. You ever been felt like you're being lulled to sleep during a worship time before the Lord? And it's not dead worship. There's a worship that can be dead. And then there is spirit-filled worship. I mean, I want to see that from the worship team as they're leading us into the presence of the Lord in worship, that they would be spirit-filled, filled filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And that's just touching us. And we're all drawn in to God's presence. That's a church that is engaged in worship. 
In Revelation chapter 16, we've already looked at this chapter, John saw the last seven plagues being poured out upon the earth. He saw it being poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth. And it's after the seventh bowl was poured out that John hears a voice from the temple saying, It is done. It's finished. These are words that for those that are on this earth, it's done. It's finished. You see, seven seal judgments have already passed. Seven trumpet judgments have already passed. And now seven bold judgments are finished. Three sets of judgments upon this earth that we read of in the book of Revelation. Being poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth. But then we come to this 19th chapter of Revelation. We might call it the climax of everything that preceded it. All 18 chapters leading up to it. Because you see in chapter 19. We're going to see this morning that there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then there's going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. The climax of everything leading up to this point. Jesus Christ returning to this earth. In chapter 17 and 18, as I shared from these two chapters, they're both parenthetical chapters that gave us more details regarding the, the fall of Babylon, religious Babylon, commercial Babylon in those two chapters. With all of the deception that this religious Babylon will bring to this earth, during the tribulation period, it's going to come to an end. With all the deception and all the, the worldliness that comes along with the commercialism and the power that this revived Babylon will bring upon this earth during that time, it will come to its final destruction. God will bring what started in Babel and will be revived in Babylon. In the end, he'll bring it to a final end, a final destruction. This revived city of Babylon the Great is going to be a place after it's destroyed that's described in Revelation 18 as a dwelling place for demons and demon activity that's going to follow. It's going to be a desolate place, but a harbor for demon activity. God's judgment will bring an end to this great city, Babylon. This commercialism that covers, and this religious system that covers the entire earth. We might say that Revelation chapter 16 to chapter 18. These three chapters might be the most difficult chapters for us to take in. Remember back and just thinking about those bold judgments and what that will look like. And it's hard for us to even wrap our head around the intensity of those judgments upon this earth. They're difficult chapters. But they're chapters and they're truth that must be shared to the church. We need to know what's going to come upon this earth during the tribulation period. But look what's coming this morning. In chapter 19, verse 9, we're going to read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's to come. It's something that the church is going to be part of. Can you imagine what the worship's going to sound like 
when all of the tribulation saints, remember there are going to be those that are going to get saved during the tribulation period. But can you imagine what it's going to sound like, what it's going to look like when all of the tribulation saints are in heaven and all the church age believers, that's you and I, church age believers, 2,000 years of church history, when we're also in heaven with the tribulation saints. And then all of the host of angels that are in heaven that are all going to be standing before the throne of God. They're all going to be, and we will all be, raising our voices with one voice, crying out to God in worship. It's going to be incredible. That's going to be a, a, an amazing day. I've shared with you a number of times, prepare yourself, church. If you struggle with worship now, prepare yourself because there's coming a day when you won't be able to do anything but fall to your face to truly worship God with your whole heart. And so I ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready for that day to stand before the Lord with all the other believers, all the hosts of, of angels in heaven? Are you ready for that day? Let's all stand to our feet right now. As you're standing, let's all raise our hands. All of us, raise your hands. There we go. I wanted to see that for a long time. All right, keep them up. Keep them up. Raising your hands to the Lord. Surrender to the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. You feel relaxed with that? Or does it feel a little uncomfortable? Raising your hands to God in worship. I think that's what we're all going to be doing in heaven. You go ahead and put them down. Now I want you to get down on your face on the carpet and kneel. Now, look at them. You all got nervous. I saw it. We'll be doing that probably also. Kneeling down, laying down, prostrate before the, before the Lord. As we read our text this morning, we're going to see one word four times. It stands out in the first six verses of chapter 19. It's the word hallelujah. Say it. Hallelujah. hallelujah. And it's the only place in the New Testament that we find this word. It's found actually in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, many times. But in the New Testament, it's only found in Revelation chapter 19 in our text. This morning, the word hallelujah. And this word hallelujah means praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a compound word. It's first the word hallel. And the word hallel in Hebrew means praise. And then it's jah, J-A-H which is the shortened form of God's personal name, Jehovah or Yahweh. And so it's praise ye Jah or Yahovah, or also it's translated in your Bibles, praise the Lord. When you read your Bibles in the Old Testament, praise the Lord. We just read it in Psalm 117 this morning. Praise the Lord. Here's a verse in the Old Testament that parallels what we're going to be reading in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. It's Psalm 104, verse 35. It says, may sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Do you see the worship even in that? You see, there is going to be a praise and a worship and an agreement in the truth and the righteous judgments of God in that day. 
You see, for Israel, it was always a time of rejoicing when they were delivered from their enemy. Great rejoicing went throughout the camp of Israel when they had victory over their enemy. In Revelation 18.20, we read, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. In other words, there's going to come a day for all those prophets and all of those apostles, everyone that has been martyred even for the cause of Christ, those that are going to be killed even during the trip. There's coming a day of retribution. There's coming a day where God will avenge upon them those that have brought hardship and, and upon God's people. I want to interact this morning. I already did that a little bit. That was good. I should have take, taken my phone and taken a picture of that. But I want to interact. As we read these first six verses, whenever I read the word hallelujah, I want you to, with a loud voice, I want you to say what? Praise the Lord. And you can't do it quiet. You have to do it loud. Okay? So I'm going to read our text to you. I'll pause for a moment when I read it, but I want you, as loud as you can, praise the Lord. Okay? Let's try it first. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, not bad. Not bad. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Very good. All right. So let's, uh, let's start reading in verse... One. After these things, John says, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. That's the first outburst of praise that we read of in Revelation chapter 19. It's following chapter 16, 17, and 18 with all the, the bull judgments being poured out upon this earth. The destruction of Babylon has already happened in this host of people in heaven praising God for it. The second outburst of praise is in verse 3. Again they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Speaking about the destruction of commercial Babylon that we already read about. The fourth, or the third, excuse me, outburst of praise in verses 4 and 5. It, it comes from those that are around the throne in this heavenly scene that John has seen. We read in verse 4, And the twenty-four elders, which I believe is the church, and the four living creatures, which I believe are angelic beings, they fell and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Amen. The fourth outburst of praise is in verse 6. And they're praising God because the marriage of the Lamb has come. Look what it says, verse 6. And I, John, heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Amen? It's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be an incredible day. 
when we are going to be truly worshiping God with our whole heart in that day. He did pretty good. Wow. And we have a lot of way today. Let's look a little deeper at verse 1. John says, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. This word multitude, it's actually found three times in the book of Revelation, twice in our text this morning. The word is defined as a crowd, a throng, or a mass of people. We're talking about a large group that's going to be there in that time, in that day. The question might be asked, who is the multitude? We already read back in chapter 7, verse 9. It says, after these things, which is speaking about the sealing of the 144,000, after these things I looked, John said, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Listen to this description that John saw this multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out, here it is, with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Just think of those that are going to get saved during the tribulation period. Just think of the rejoicing that's going to be in their heart. At the very last, they got saved. They're crying out with loud voices to their God. John hears in verse 1, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to our God. This multitude praising God for salvation. It's what you and I will be doing. God, you saved me. You saved me from the grave. You saved me from my sin, from death. Salvation, glory, honor. And power belong to our God. In Revelation, we actually find this word salvation two times in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 7.10, speaking of that great multitude that we already read of, the great multitude is crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 12, Verse 10, John says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren, which is Satan, who accused them before God day and night has been cast down, cast out of heaven, cast down, never to be able to return again to heaven. Glory, honor, and power follow this great salvation. You know the word glory? We read about it in the Old Testament going all the way back to Exodus chapter 16 where God's Shekinah glory that, that led the, God's people on their path as they journeyed in Revelation 21:26, we read about the glory that's going to illuminate the New Jerusalem in the end, from the glory of the Old Testament to the glory of the New Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter one, when we get there, God's glory. And here we are worshiping glory and honor. In Revelation 21, we also read that the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring glory and honor into the new Jerusalem. It's all looking ahead to what's coming. Something new is coming, church. We have a new creation, a new heaven and an earth. We're going to be here on earth with Christ, reigning for a thousand years. The new Jerusalem, we have much to look forward to. And then power. 
And that's the word dunamis. Dunamis. God's creative ability is found in that word. God's power. It was his power that spoke creation into existence. God just simply spoke. And it was done. Dunamis is that Greek word. God's creative ability. The God that created the heavens and the earth is the same God who brought salvation to you and I. Isn't it an incredible redemptive plan that God did? Isn't it amazing how God created the heavens and the earth and then new man would fall and then knew we would, through his redemptive power, would be able to bring salvation to you and I. Back in chapter 4, verse 11, we read that the living creatures those angels, those angelic creatures began praising God. You are worthy, they say, O Lord, to receive glory. Here it is, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. I shared with you back in chapter 4 and 5 that you better get comfortable with worshiping and praising God here on earth. Get comfortable now with it because when you get to heaven, as I shared, you're going to be on your face. You're going to be kneeling and on your face and casting your crowns before the Lord. It's going to be that kind of worship in that day. In Revelation 5.13, the church broke out in worship again. It says, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. It's the same words, isn't it? Blessing, honor, glory, and power. Look at verse 2. For true and righteous. This is why. This is why we'll be worshiping him in that moment, in that time, in that day. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged, what? The great harlot. Who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. We're going to be rejoicing and praising and worshiping God in that. For God's true and righteous judgments. You see, the church, throughout all of church history, has been exhorted to evangelize. We're called to go out and make disciples, aren't we? Of all nations. And we're called to pray even for the salvation of those who don't know Christ, aren't we? We, we do that. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for people that don't know Christ. Jesus gave that great commission. And he says, and I'm lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. He says, until I come back, evangelize, disciple, pray for people, pray for their salvation. But did you know by the time that we get here in Revelation 19, you're not going to be praying anymore for the lost. You're not going to be witnessing anymore. You're not going to be going out evangelizing and making disciples anymore. You see, this is going to bring everything full circle. It's going to bring it to the end. No more prayers for the lost. No more evangelism. There was a book that was written years ago. Maybe you read it. One thing you can't do in heaven was the title of the book. And what that is, is you can't evangelize. That's it. It's all done. There won't be any evangelism in heaven. 
But now the church is gathered in heaven. And the tribulation period has come to an end. And the church is now praising and worshiping the one who has executed his true and righteous judgments. He's done it against all those who have rejected him. All those who have refused to repent, to turn in repentance to him. In verse 3, again they say, Hallelujah. Get a little weaker. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. We already read in chapter 18, verse 17, how the merchants stood at a distance. And they were told that they cried out as they saw the smoke of Babylon burning, just going up in rubble. We don't even know what that'll look like and how that'll come about. But God is going to completely destroy that revived Babylon. It appears from Revelation 18.2 that after Babylon's destruction, it's going to remain a heap of destruction and a prison for these demonic spirits even into the millennial kingdom. We're going to be reigning with Christ on earth for a thousand years. The remnants of this is going to remain. Here's another interesting thought to consider. If the 24 elders, which I believe are representative of the church that we read about, that them having uh, been in, in, in heaven in Revelation chapter 4, which I believe is the rapture of the church. We know that that's before the seal judgments because the seal judgments happen in chapter 6. And so here's the 24 elders, the heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 that are in heaven. And in chapter 6, That means that the church is already, when these seal judgments are broken and unleashed, the church is already in heaven and it's already been raptured. We're in heaven, I believe, for the whole period of the seven-year tribulation period. Amen? Amen. In Revelation 4.4, it tells us that these 24 elders are clothed in white robes. They have crowns of gold on their heads. And they're sitting on thrones. Now, I want to say that for those that interpret this to be angelic beings, these 24 elders, these are never descriptive words for angels. This is for the church. This is for believers. White garments, white robes, crowns of gold. And they're sitting on thrones. Church, I believe, has been raptured and in heaven. And then there's the four living creatures, these angelic beings that are there also worshiping and praising God uh, in heaven. We then come to verse 5. And it says, now John hears another voice. Then a voice came from the throne. And maybe this is, it doesn't tell us who, but maybe it's one of the four living creatures, one of these angelic beings, saying, praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. You see, this angel is calling for all of God's servants Many of them who had been martyred during the tribulation period, but all those who fear his name to praise God. For he has avenged you and he is worthy of our praise. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Speaking about Babylon. And now for the fourth time, 
John hears the voice of this great multitude open up in praise and worship for this long-awaited marriage that has now come, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings. Just think of what that sounds like. Many waters. I probably should have put something up on the sound up here. The sound of many water. This is the only way he could describe it. It just sounded like the rushing of many waters. It sounded like the, the clashing of thunder out in the sky. When I heard these voices, this great multitude, they were saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord omnipotent reigns. I love that. All powerful God, He reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage, here it is, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has been made herself ready. And to her, speaking of the church, I believe, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, that's the church, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, John, blessed, here's the invitation to the wedding, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. To understand this marriage supper of the Lamb, we have to take on a little bit of a Jewish mindset. You see, a Jewish wedding could be seen in three parts. It was first the arrangement of a wedding, of the two people getting married. Then it was the fetching of the bride. And then it was the marriage ceremony and the marriage feast that would follow. But the arrangement, the father of the bride, he's the one that makes the arrangement. And a dowry is paid at that time. First, we might say it's the marriage contract that is made, which is consummated by the parents of the bride. The contract was signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. So there's this contract, this legal contract that was signed. If you didn't know this, Kyle, Pastor Kyle here, is married to my daughter Heather my son-in-law. And that contract was signed when they got married. But there was all supposed to be a dowry. And I've never seen that dowry. <laughs> it could come in the way of land, it could come in the way of money, it could, it's something of possessions. I've never seen that dowry. But the marriage contract was consummated by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. And the parents of the bridegroom would pay this dowry to the parents of the bride or to the bride herself. It was going to be security for her. That would start and be the start of what would be called the betrothal period. We call it today the engagement period, the engagement time, the signed contract, the legal document has already happened. And the only thing that could break that contract was a divorce. It's the only thing that could break that, nothing else could. 
that could break that union between these two. We read in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 25, about this relationship with Christ to the church. But it also can be related to a husband and wife, and we quite often use that in marriage counseling. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Speaking of you as the body of Christ this morning. The washing of the water through the word. Presenting you before God someday. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. You see the price paid by the father for you and I. The price paid for your salvation was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Could there be anything more than that? The arrangement often happened when they were often little. I kind of like this whole concept. I'm a father with three daughters. Didn't have any sons, I had three daughters. But I like this arrangement kind of a thing. Sometimes they were arranged even before they met their husband. The father, they already had it all lined up, who you're going to marry. I don't know if any of you would like that, ladies, but, you know, what you got is what you got. (laughs) The part of the wedding for believers has already been completed. Then there's the fetching. I like this too. There's the fetching of the bride. This betrothal period, this, this, this engagement period that could go on for a year. They're married, but they've never consummated their marriage in a physical way. Could go on for a whole year. And then there's the fetching of the bride after this period of time. Where the groom would go to the home of the bride and bring her to his home, which would be a place that he had been preparing for her for over the course of that whole year. Preparing a place to bring his bride to. He would go out into the night with his male friends with torches at midnight. He'd go parading through the streets to the place where his bride was residing. The bride and all of her bridesmaids would be there ready. They knew the time was coming, but they did not know the hour. They didn't know the specific hour or time. But they knew that the bridegroom was coming. It's illustrated in the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. The bride would know that the groom was coming. She knew that the day was coming, but it was the father. Listen to this. It was the father who would say to the son, it's time. Go fetch your bride. Go get your bride. It was over this betrothal or engagement period as I shared that the groom would be preparing a place for his bride. It's been 2,000 years. Jesus has gone away, gone back into heaven. He's prepared a place for you and I. This fetching of the bride, it's now going on 2,000 years. We've been waiting. No one knows the day or the hour, do they? And neither did they. Neither did she. But she readied herself. She basically slept in her wedding gown, waiting for that time. 
That fetching, I believe, is going to be the rapture of the church. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul wrote about it. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you? Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Are you alive right now? If Jesus came back today, then you would be translated into his presence in a new glorified body in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's the rapture of the church. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, shall be snatched away together with them in the clouds. Those that are dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture of the church. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul finishes with this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We can comfort each other. Jesus is coming back. Ready yourself. Be ready for it. All of this is temporary. All the sufferings in this life will come to an end. He's coming back. I think it's so interesting in this whole picture, only God can do, take a marriage and, and take this whole thing of this marriage ceremony, the steps in it, and use it in this way to show us this picture. Remember Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but your father only. The father said, go snatch your bride. It's time. The end has come. It's time to go get your bride. We're the bride. But before that bride is fetched by the groom, he had to prepare that place for her. He had a whole year or a specific time until the father said, go get your bride. And we read in John 14, verse 1, Jesus, these are his words, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places is another way it's put. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's the promise that you and I are waiting for that day when the father is going to say to the son, go fetch your bride. And the third step of this marriage ceremony or this marriage feast. Where only a few were invited. The wedding feast or the wedding supper. Was known to go on for days on end. Celebration time. This was time to celebrate. And you could read about a, a, something, an illustration of that, even in the wedding at Canaan, that Jesus and his disciples were invited to, where they ran out of wine on that, that wedding celebration time. In our text this morning, these first two steps... They've already taken place. You see, we're just waiting for the fetching. The contract happened when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. When you committed your life to Christ, when you repented of your sin, you gave your life to Christ. The contract happened. And this waiting period, that we're in, waiting for the fetching. 
waiting for the Lord to come back and to take his bride is what we're waiting for. But then comes the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're going to be all together in the presence of the Lord. The bridegroom has come for his bride. It's going to be an awesome day. I have no clue what it's really going to look like. But what I do know, it's going to be a time where it's going to be a glorious time. It's going to be a time of interacting for the church. For those that have, through all, just think of all of those through all of history. And all, all, even all the Old Testament saints. And all those that are going to be joined together in that day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. A time of celebration, a time of praise and worship before our God. It's going to be an awesome day. Look and read ahead. We're going to be finishing uh, chapter 19 in a couple weeks here, but um, chapter 19 is going to be, and starting in verse 11, going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot to that. Some of us might just say, you know, hey, coming back, that's it. There's a lot to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I'm looking forward to that. If you're in need this morning of prayer, please find me at the back. Come up here afterwards. Find, find somebody. Say, pray for me. I need your prayers. And meanwhile, as we go out into this world this week, look for opportunity. Ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to open your mouth with a neighbor, with somebody you work with, somebody you love. Reach out to them. The day is drawing close. Ready yourself. Prepare yourself for that day. Father, I thank you, uh, Lord, for Revelation chapter 19. Lord, we went through, Lord, some pretty hard chapters leading up to chapter 19. And chapter 19 is, is like this breath of fresh air and it's it's like lord just entering into a, a a new time lord where we can actually rejoice now or we've seen all the suffering and the hardship that is going to come upon this earth but now we're rejoicing we're in your presence lord and we look forward to that day when this will come to pass we're raptured we're in your presence lord the marriage supper of the Lamb is now going to begin, Lord. We look forward to that day. We worship you. We praise you, Lord, this morning. And all God's people said, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen.